Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and today I'm dressed as a slutty podcaster. (laughs) It's not not every day, really. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I am... uh, body positive josh i want to show off the goods i'm allowed to baby yes of course i I fully support that Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh why would jason be in a halloween costume well it's halloween and uh we're kind of in between seasons of awesome movie year here and so we thought we'd take a little break and do some special halloween focused episodes and return to the year that we covered in our second season, the year 2007, and talk about a couple of Halloween movies from that year, and also a couple of movies that fit in with our regular categories that we considered including when we were planning our 2007 season. So we're starting out with a movie that could have gone in our future cult classic spot, and that is Michael Doherty's film, Trick or Treat which certainly has become a cult classic since 2007. That's right, Josh. You know, we here at Awesome Movie Year, we're all for tradition. We love tradition. And one of the oldest traditions here at Awesome Movie Year is are these holiday episodes where we look at years that we've covered and uh, we really dig deep, find the right holiday episodes. And for Halloween 2007, uh, really had some good ones, and including this one, Josh. But as you know... Most people didn't get to see it till many years later. That is true. This is a movie that had sort of a uh, an odyssey toward getting released. Um, it did premiere in 2007. It was initially set to be released in October 2007 in time for Halloween that year. That did not happen. It premiered at the uh, Buttonumathon. The uh, annual, I don't know if it, I think it stopped happening because Harry Knowles of Ain't It Cool News, eh, he had some some issues, uh, Pro- let's pro- say. He became problematic as as uh, seems to be many of the people we have discussed recently. Yeah. So I don't know if that happens anymore, but for many years, he had this 24-hour movie marathon every year, the Buttonumathon, and the, this movie... Eventually, it premiered there in December 2007, and then over the course of the next two years, as Warner Brothers, which was its initial, uh, the studio that financed and was initially set to release the movie, as they kind of, I don't know, hesitated about releasing this movie, it, it weirdly built a cult following before it was even released playing at multiple film festivals, including uh, Sitges, or Sitges, I don't know how you pronounce that, which is a big genre film festival in Europe. Uh, the Fantasia Film Festival, which is another major genre film festival. It played at the San Diego Comic-Con. And so it had this huge reputation as this great movie that Warner Brothers, for some reason, didn't want people to see, uh, I guess. And- yeah, yeah. Part of the, I mean, could be that our writer director there, Michael Doherty, had written Superman 2, and that was such a bomb for Warner Brothers that they were kind of getting out of the Michael Doherty business. I mean, maybe, yeah, Superman Returns is the movie you're thinking Sure, about. yeah, the, the second new crappy Superman, yes. the Yeah, <laughs> that, that Brian Singer directed with Brandon Routh. 
Speaking um, of problematic. There you go. Yes. Uh, Michael Doherty started his career by working with Brian Singer on multiple uh, projects. He was a screenwriter on uh, some of the X-Men movies. And Brian Singer is a credited producer here. So, and yes. he, uh, yeah, and he's a hit maker. Uh, Josh, you know what I'm thinking about this film, Trick or Treat, is, uh, you know, they were they were they had that release date in October of 2007. And then they were tricked ah. by the studio. And they yeah. couldn't release this treat to the public for two more years. <laughs> do, do, do you work on that one for a while? <laughs> I did not. Clearly, clearly yeah, there, I did not. But it is interesting. the audiogram jo- right there. <laughs> Josh, <laughs> what's interesting that you mentioned is that it built up this all this steam at these festivals and people really wanted to see it and they still didn't give it a release. Right, exactly. They still wouldn't put it out in theaters. It finally was released in October 2009, but direct to DVD. And I guess for whatever reason, Warner Brothers thought the only people who would want to see this maybe were these kind of hardcore horror fans who had been going to see it at all these festivals and events and free screenings, and that it just wouldn't play in a wide theatrical release, which I don't understand. I feel like this movie is completely accessible. It's certainly not weirder or more esoteric than many, many, many horror movies that get released in theaters all the time. And I don't know, you know, who was at Warner Brothers at the time and what the discussions were. Sometimes these things hinge on different executives being there. Somebody who greenlit a movie and was a big supporter of it suddenly leaves and the new person comes in and doesn't like it. I don't know the details, but Warner Brothers definitely seemed to screw this up. I mean, this is a movie that had a $12 million budget, so it's not a big budget movie, but that's not nothing. And I'm sure they eventually made that money back on DVD. I I couldn't find, it's hard to find statistics in terms of profit for home video, but this movie was in the top 10 uh, sales on both DVD and Blu-ray the week that it was released in 2009. Um, And I'm sure over time they've made that money back. But they could have made a bit more if they had put it out in theaters. Yeah. One thing I had read was that they were worried about it competing against like Saw 4. And if that's true, it's like, yeah, put it out. I mean, it's a totally different movie. The, the style, the the tone, the humor, you know, and everything. And uh, I think, I don't know. It's so weird to me that it did develop all this momentum and they still didn't give it a shot. Even if they had platformed it in like a few major cities to see what that would have been like. I think it would have done well in theaters. Yeah, I think so too. And it's a weird thing that, uh, you know, we'll talk about maybe more in the legacy, but not only did it build up that reputation before it was released, but since it was released, it's only become more popular and more of a cult classic and more beloved to the point where I would say if, first of all, if theaters continue to exist in the future, which is an open question, but assuming they do, and if they make the the long discussed sequel to this movie, I'm sure it'll be a major theatrical release because it'll have such uh, a level of anticipation from people who will want to see it. And I disagree completely because Netflix will buy it and put it out the first week of October and uh, it'll happen there. But maybe it's one of these things where like, they the uh, studio failed into success like by bumbling this release they just kept like making people more interested in it and i and i do think it would have done well uh on you know on the big screen but i think like the fact that it was so hard to find probably made a lot more people look for it yeah and that and that's a fair point that it it, it developed this sort of mythical quality that 
you know, only a handful of audiences had gotten to see it at these various events. And everyone who was into horror movies uh, was clamoring for it. Whereas maybe if it had come out when it was initially planned, that wouldn't have happened. You know, people would have, some people would have been interested, but it wouldn't have been at that same level. I know that was the case for me. I personally heard about it a lot over the course of those two years, and I'm definitely a horror fan. And so by the time it came out on DVD, I was highly anticipating it and ended up kind of disappointed, which is one thing that happens when a movie is is heavily hyped for a period of two years. And, and this is a movie because it came out direct to DVD. And in 2009, movies that didn't come out in theaters weren't particularly extensively reviewed, let's say. I mean, now I know for me as a critic, I review tons of movies now that don't come out in theaters. Obviously, very little is coming out in theaters right now. But even before uh, the pandemic still, um, it was something that that got a lot of coverage. But back in 2009, that's not the case. So not a ton of mainstream outlets reviewed it. Yeah, um, you're the you're like the new Harry Knowles, Josh. <laughs> That is not a distinction that I'd like to have. <laughs> Although Dave's hair looks more like his than, than yours. Yeah, no, I don't think any one of us want to be compared to Harry Knowles. That's not that's not something that we're looking for. Moving so, on. Yes, let's. Um, variety in their uh, their typical uh, being completely exhaustive in reviewing everything. They did cover it. Uh, Joe Lydon in Variety said. A bloodier, cheekier version of those omnibus shockers that once were stock in trade for Britain's amicus productions, Trick or Treat appears to be the work of diehard fans who studied 70s picks like Tales from the Crypt and The Vault of Horror with the same enthusiasm with which film school academics deconstruct Citizen Kane. Warners bypass theatrical release to go the straight-to-vid route perhaps fearing critical reaction to, among other things, an episode in which the slaying of a tubby youngster is played for laughs. Still, this slick and twisted effort should enjoy lengthy shelf life as a Halloween perennial. And he was certainly right about that one. And I don't know if really people would have been so offended about the the, the large young man being killed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, did, he have to, did he have to call him Tubby? That just seems so unnecessary. That's worse than what happens. Yeah, in the right. That's, uh, that's of course. The, I don't know the actor, but I, I it's Thurman Merman from Bad Santa, who I love in Bad Santa. That kid who who plays the um, uh, Rubenesque. <laughs> trick or treater. So. Yes. But, uh, and Josh, how about Joe Lydon saying, you know what? Vid is enough. We don't need the EO in there. <laughs> like, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's Variety's penchant for the slang that they make up. And it may not be Joe Lydon's word. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll have to, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt on that one. But yeah, I don't, I don't think that this is not a movie that would have been offensive i don't yeah. think to be no i agree in any way like the last one was uh that one from uh right before the theaters closed down where they were hunting people right yeah the, the hunt yes the hunt where they hunt people and like there's nothing like this that one shouldn't have been you know banned either but uh yeah that, there's nothing like this in in this film that would have made me think like oh you can't put this in theaters personally though josh i would have preferred a review by john lydon from the sex pistols <laughs> well, we'll never right. know. Well, no. Yeah, just don't. Just just don't. <laughs> it's Halloween. Yeah. You can be anyone you want. You 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 can. You're going to you're going to dress as uh Johnny this Rotten is, from the Sex uh, Pistols. 
Uh, uh, maybe from his public uh, image limited days. Okay. Zach Handlin in the AV Club said, Trick or Treat stories are presented out of order, a choice that adds nothing but some cute comic book style captions. The biggest problem here is that none of the individual tales are developed enough. And when combined, the resulting melange has mass, but no weight. Brian Cox's segment is the most successful, a familiar but semi-gripping mano-a-mano struggle for survival with an unexpected conclusion. But while nothing in the movie is outright terrible, too much of it is frustratingly lazy. The idea of a Halloween-centric anthology is solid, but the subject deserves stronger material than this reheated mush. Trick or Treat was shelved for two years before getting shuffled straight to DVD, and now that it's finally out, it turns out to be neither a lost classic nor an embarrassment, but just another bit of candy that won't stick in anyone's teeth for long. And I agree with most of what he says there. I think that was... Except if you have candy, you don't want it to stick in your teeth for long, so that's kind of a compliment to it that it shouldn't be, it seems like. I guess that's a kind of muddled <laughs> metaphor there, but but his general assessment. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call this movie lazy. I think you can tell that Michael Doherty puts a lot of love uh, and care into this movie. He cl- it's clearly a passion project, and he definitely has that affinity for those old school horror anthologies that Joe Lydon mentions, like Tales from the Crypt. But to me, it, it did feel like not just a letdown watching this movie, but just a sort of like, what was the big deal about? A movie like this. I think that's what we're saying is the big deal is that it didn't come out, right? So it had all that anticipation. Well, right. But the big deal wasn't just that it didn't come out. It was that everyone who saw it said, oh my God, this movie is amazing. It must be released. You know, it wasn't just, hey, Warners, uh, that was a movie. You should put it out. I mean, it was like, this is a great movie that audiences are being deprived of. This is the Snyder Cut of 2007. It um, is in a way, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I'm talking about things that are overhyped. Um, here's, uh, you know what, Josh, I agree with you. And one thing I would say about that is the people who did see this had that communal experience in the theater. And sometimes that lifts your, you know, viewing up a little more. Like, um, you know, like you said, you saw it first on DVD. If you saw this at midnight and it was like a secret screening and, Everyone was there and like reacting to all the, you know, kills or the jokes. Like I could see how that would be a more enjoyable way to watch this. But I agree with you. I I don't think it needed to be longer or more drawn out, as the reviewer said. Um, and I also don't think the Brian Cox segment had any type of surprise ending. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I I'm with you so far, Josh. All right. Yeah, I don't, I'm not saying that the movie needed to be longer. I just felt like the stories didn't really go anywhere, you know? And I think this is a problem in a lot of horror anthologies, and I've seen a lot of them. I mean, even just this past week, I've watched other ones. Um, And I think sometimes these little stories, if they're part of this larger whole, they don't don't feel like they're properly self-contained. And I think that is one of the problems here. Not that the movie overall needed to be longer. Well, I agree with you that Doherty did put a lot of passion in. Clearly, you know, this is a subject he, uh, you know, really wanted to work on, considering that the Sam character who we see in as kind of, you know, I'm not going to say transitional, but he, he, the little trick-or-treater ties the stories together in a way because he's there every time a Halloween tradition is broken. Doherty at first 
made a short film about that character in 1996. So this is 11 years later. And uh, I mean, he's still talking about making more of it today. Yeah, his short, uh, his animated short that he made when he was an NYU student um, called Seasons Seasons. Greetings. Yeah, which I I watched. It was on the DVD that I watched. I mean, it's like three minutes long or something. And it's it's kind of cute. And it, it, it doesn't have any dialogue. And it's a perfect little three and a half minute short that if I saw at a film festival, I'd think, oh, that was really nice. And I just don't know if it quite sustains... Uh, when it becomes a feature and when he adds all this stuff to it. But certainly it's 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 something that was very, very important to him. I have a question for you, Josh, since yes. you, I'd say, are of the three of us the biggest horror fan. Would you agree with that, Dave? I think so. You had mentioned that you've watched a lot of horror anthologies. Are there any that stand out to you as like someone who might watch this movie, one that they should watch that you would say is great? I mean, uh, off the top of my head, I would probably pick out like Creep Show, the Stephen King, George Romero film, which is uh, certainly an influence here, and especially the the comic book aspects of it because it's it's taken from those old EC comics. And I think King and Romero uh, really know their stuff with that, and they recreate that stuff very well in Creep Show, and and also Creep Show too, to some of the same extent uh, with adaptations of some Stephen King stories. So I'm sure there's others that I'm not thinking of at the moment, but that that's a classic, certainly. it's That's from the, the 80s, I believe. So it's, it's a little after those movies that Joe Lydon mentions um, from the 70s. Um, so it was influenced by those as well. But I think as far as horror anthologies go, that's probably the one to watch. Um, and it's also been now, it's a TV series on Shudder that's not nearly as good. When I was uh, when I was six years old, a friend showed me Creep Show. Oh and, man, a friend, and I, aka Dave's parents. <laughs> yeah, my my mom was so mad. I had nightmares for weeks. I bet. Really? Yeah. Was she was she like, hey, you showed him? I, Creep I know Show. it'll He's cheer you up. Six. Yeah, here, let's watch Revenge of the Nerds. We'll start no. at the panty raid scene. One of my favorite movies when I was little. <laughs> oh my god! Of course. Um, so, Jason. Um, to your point about the way that people saw this and the excitement that it generated because they saw it at film festivals in that experience, the horror press outside of the mainstream was really a big driver of the hype for this movie. And so I grabbed one of those, Brad Miska in Bloody Disgusting, which is a a major horror website, um, said, the best way to describe Trick or Treat is that it reminds me of a live action Nightmare Before Christmas or a film that takes place in the same world. The character designs are colorful, unique, and completely unnerving, especially the final creature, Sam, who torments the old man. The gorgeous set design only added to the atmosphere of the film, really bringing this artist's vision to life. Welcome to Michael Doherty's world. And it was a that was just a little bit like of an extremely effusive, almost overly effusive <laughs> review uh, from some film festival in in like before before the the wide release of this film. You know, uh, and this is just a personal recollection, Josh. I remember we saw this film, The Living Wake, at Cinevegas, uh, when Cinevegas was a great film festival out here. Do you remember that movie? Vaguely, yeah. I think I remember that you were a big fan of it. I loved it. And then I remember seeing it at just like a normal theater, at like a special screening where it wasn't a packed house. And it was like, eh, it's all right. I don't, you know, but like you totally, the experience really adds a lot, which is why I think right now, Without the theaters, you're really getting honest assessments of these movies. And that's why uh, 
forget the movie theaters, Dave. Ha 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 ha. No, but I think I think you have a good point. And I've had that experience at film festivals where the environment and the atmosphere and the excitement of the people around you adds to that experience. And I could certainly imagine for this film where already going into it, it's like, oh, this is the movie that Warners doesn't want us to see. It's going to be so awesome. And you have that experience. Yeah, that definitely adds to it when it's like when it's an outlaw movie or something like that, you know. Right, right, right. And I know, like I said, I had heard about this movie over the course of those two years and was excited for it. As as you mentioned, I am a big horror fan. I was looking forward to it. I remember at the time in Las Vegas Weekly, we wouldn't really review movies that went straight to DVD. Again, that's not something that the mainstream press did a lot of, but I remember arguing in favor, you know, pitching like, we got to review this movie because it's such a big thing. And I got the DVD and I was able to review it. And, uh, you know, I was kind of disappointed. So I'll quote myself. Josh Bell in Las Vegas Weekly said, (laughs) Michael Doherty achieves a nice classical feel in his shooting style and has put together an able cast that includes Dylan Baker, Anna Paquin, and Brian Cox. But his stories are often muddled without the moral clarity and sharp cynicism of the EC Comics tales. And the scares are basically non-existent. Trick or Treat deserves points for avoiding cheap thrills and excessive gore, but its limited old school charms are not nearly as impressive as its inflated reputation suggests. So I I, I stand by that. I think you're the Sid Vicious of the Las Vegas Weekly, baby. That is so (laughs) untrue. Um, If if nothing else, because I'm alive. Um, Um, So. I agree with you, Josh. I mean, thank you. I don't like agreeing with you a lot, but you know, I think uh, you've 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 done good work on this one. Thank you. Um, did you ever? Did you see this in two thousand nine? Were you aware of the hype surrounding it? No, and as you know, I'm often aware of this type of uh, underground movement for films and uh, movies that. Uh, might have gotten overlooked and developed these cult followings. Um, And that goes back to my days of working at Blockbuster Video. But that's another story, Josh. Um, I really didn't know anything about it. Uh, And then when we were researching these holiday episodes, you know, cult classic and the story behind it made it all sound uh, very interesting. But this was my first viewing experience of this film. Dave, had you ever seen Trick or Treat before? I saw it back then, I think. I didn't realize the whole story of it not coming out, but I think I saw it around the time it hit DVD. Did you uh, like it at that time? I don't think I even finished it because I didn't like it so much. <laughs> wow. All <laughs> yeah. right. Well, hopefully, did you did you make it through uh, watching it uh, this I made time? it through this time. All yes, right. I did. Well, that's uh, the bare minimum there. So <laughs> excellent. Uh, Jason, is there any other background on this film that you would like to mention? Um, let's see. I no, I think we covered a lot of the background on this one. In we did indeed, segment, you know. Yes. So, um, one interesting kind of fact is all the references to other horror movies that's there, like the car from Christine, you know, stuff like that. But, um, you know, like there's the thing, Halloween, Child's Play, all referenced here. But really, I think you're you're on top of things today, Josh. I'm going to take the rest of the episode off. <laughs> that sounds perfect. So we'll come back then and talk about our general thoughts on Trick or Treat. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this 
special Halloween episode. We are returning to the year of our second season, 2007, to talk about future cult classic Trick or Treat, which I feel like maybe we were all a bit disappointed in. Jason? I agree, Josh. And as you said, it had a release date in 2007, and then the studio ghosted it. Oh man, you just you're just on fire today. <laughs> I was just I mean, there's nothing that really kept my interest. It was it was background noise really. There was nothing bad, but there was nothing like where I was like, "Oh, and I'm not a big horror fan as you know, but like right. I want to watch aw- uh, awesome movies. That's sure. kind of a thing, you know. That is. So, we have a um, podcast about them. <laughs> yeah. And uh this this was not an awesome movie. It was just a if like if this was called Meh movie year this would have fit in perfectly (laughs) yeah i like i said i saw it in 2009 was super excited about it and was was disappointed at the time and coming back to it now i thought okay well that hype is over now you know i already had that experience maybe now i can look at it and i'll enjoy it more and i really didn't like you said it's not bad at all and i do think that michael doherty's passion for the material and his knowledge of horror. You mentioned all the references to other horror movies. It all comes through. It's clearly a movie that's crafted with love and care. And I, and I do think it, it captures that, that kind of almost like sepia tinged uh, nostalgia feeling about Halloween as a kid and that kind of stuff. But the stories really don't amount to much. The connections are kind of weak. The performances are okay. And yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't grab me. I feel like, like I was saying before, I've seen a lot of horror anthologies. I feel like there are at least 10 movies on Shudder right now that you could watch that follow this same formula that are just as good, if not better, but don't have this level of like huge following. Yeah. If we're going to talk about the positives, it's, it's a well-directed film. Uh, Interestingly, since Doherty wrote and directed it, you know, a lot of the time you say it's better written than directed but i think in this case it's the opposite the directing maybe Mm -hmm. elevates some of the writing um and the other main positive is you know i think it set a really good atmosphere for halloween you know like uh the parade and all that stuff it made you feel like it was definitely a halloween movie right so but you're right it's four intersecting stories that if you want to go over we can and None of them really jump off the page. I mean, we did in the review, you mentioned that uh, Dylan Baker kills Thurman Merman, and that was kind of funny. And then they cut his head off and make him a human jack-o'-lantern. That was probably the highlight for me because it was kind of just so rank to do to that, you know, to, you know, it's a rogue move right there. So I like that part, but uh, everything else, eh. Yeah, I I feel like that is the big thing. And like I said, I see this a lot in these horror anthologies that it's it's these small stories that don't themselves kind of if you like if you watched it on its own outside of the anthology, you would say this isn't even like a complete movie, really. It doesn't have <laughs> an ending. It doesn't or it doesn't it not even done an ending. It just doesn't it doesn't have like progression to it. So and that's how I feel like, and especially in a weird way, because the stories here, they're not it's not one after the other. They're all kind of woven together. It's like the pulp fiction of horror anthologies, I think, in a way. It, it makes them It makes them even ha- have even less of an impact because you've spent like the whole movie almost anticipating the endings of some of these stories because we keep 
starting and then coming back to them and coming back to them. And, you know, it feels anticlimactic. But I agree the atmosphere here is really good. It takes place in this Ohio town that that loves Halloween, where it's a huge celebration on par with, uh, you know, with Christmas or whatever. And we never really learn why that is, but it, it, it does give you that great atmosphere uh, and, and kind of background to all the stories. Everything is decorated. There's tons of people in costumes everywhere throughout the movie. And I like Dylan Baker in this uh, as the, the school principal who is also a serial killer of children, I guess it seems like. Although I don't it's think it's just children. I mean, because he kills the woman that he kind of hooks up with too. That's true. That's true. So just a serial killer of, of all people yeah. in general. and Equal, and equal opportunity. He is. And perhaps raising his son to follow in his footsteps, it seems like. Yeah, he uh, he's not a good dad. <laughs> well, but he's an attentive. I mean, he does kind of his his son. I have to I have to say his son is kind of annoying and is, you know, kept keeps yelling at him from the window while he's just trying to bury some bodies and is just asking for stuff and. Uh, I don't know. I like, I, I, I hadn't remembered all the details of the movie. And for a minute I thought maybe he's going to kill that kid. Cause the kid's annoying. No, he wasn't <laughs> annoying. Josh, he was a kid who wanted some attention on Halloween. And this is why you need to up your therapy to twice a week, Josh. <laughs> um, he just wanted some attention from his dad, but his dad was too busy killing other kids. So, you know, there's really not much positive you could say about Dylan Baker's character. In this, I mean, in this but then they had the bonding moment. They they cut off Thurman Merman's head and they got to play with it and the kid loved it and it was great. I will say I love the line when, when Dylan Baker tells the kid to go watch Charlie Brown and he's like, Charlie Brown is an asshole. I think that was my favorite thing in the whole movie. Charlie Brown is not an asshole. In fact, I do a joke on stage about how the entire town that Charlie Brown lives in is full of assholes. And he's not the asshole of the town, Josh. So. I mean, I'm not saying that I thought Charlie Brown was an asshole. I just love that that was the kid's response to being told to watch it. <laughs> well, have you seen It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown? I'm sure I have when I was a kid, but not in a very long it's time. It's a good film, but like literally they all go around trick-or-treating and the whole town gives like the whole group of people like candy and chocolate and then Charlie Brown always gets rocks. Like they all give him rocks and it's like... It, it couldn't be a coincidence. Literally, all the townsfolk had to have this conversation beforehand and be like, hey, when this group of trick-or-treaters comes, give Lucy a, you know, a Kit Kat and give, give us, you know, Pigpen a, a Reese's Pieces. But when Charlie Brown is there, we all give him rocks, like full of assholes. And uh, maybe Dylan Baker could have killed all of them. That would have been more, more pleasing to me. Yeah, well, maybe that's, uh, you know, the sequel to that is that Charlie Brown grows up to become a serial killer and takes out Ooh. everyone in the town who mistreated him. Charlie Brown and Sam, this character, look a little alike, don't they? That, that is true. I definitely think that Sam, and you can especially tell that if you watch the animated short, Season's Greetings, you can tell that Sam is definitely influenced by Charlie Brown. And as, as one of those reviews pointed out, it does have a Nightmare Before Christmas kind of feel, and Sam looks a little like Jack Skellington, although I'm not sure... sure. I'm not sure if Nightmare Before Christmas had been released already when Seasons Greetings was created. I don't know what year that was. Exactly. I think it was. I feel like it was earlier, but I could be wrong there. Dave, you want to look up when Nightmare Before Christmas uh, was released? Josh, in the meantime, do you want to talk about any of the other stories? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> they're fine. Like, I mean, Brian Cox is certainly committed to his performance as the cranky old recluse who is terrorized by Sam. 
Um, I think just like you can see Michael Doherty's passion for all of these uh, old horror movies and whole old horror comics, I think the actors here are having a good time and you can tell that Brian Cox is having fun with his performance. Yeah, and that story kind of ties into the story of the kids going down to the um, quarry where a uh, Halloween school bus or where a school bus crashed on Halloween where all these uh, kids who were special education kids or physically. Um, yeah, it's not entirely clear if those kids were were just uh, like uh, mentally ill kids or if they were mentally disturbed, like they were yeah. dangerous kids because they're chained up in that bus as if they're dangerous. So it's not entirely clear. And, and some of them had physical ailments as well, I think. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very vague, I think. So these kids go down to the quarry and, you know, it's all there to play a joke on uh, another. Um, she seems to have Asperger's, Rhonda, the Halloween. Uh, yeah, they call girl. her a, a, like a, an, an idiot savant, which is a yeah. term that we would definitely not use now. So, so some sort of autism spectrum thing. Yeah. So they play this. They go to play this prank on her. And then, of course, you know, the urban legend of these kids who died in the. Uh, uh, bus crash in the quarry, come back to haunt all of them except Rhonda, who uh, I thought one nice thing was that she um, she so she showed no mercy on her pranksters there. She didn't help any of them survive. So. <laughs> that is true. I mean, they were pretty cruel to her, so uh, they brought it on themselves. But yeah, kind of a, a, a merciless moral universe in this movie, we could say. Yeah, so that was one story. And then you have these uh, pretty, you know, women in their 20s, I'd say. And they're all dressed up to go to this party and this fun Halloween party. And um, that story, I think, had the least uh, effectiveness for me because it was like you didn't really know where it was going at all. And then it was it seemed like um, the Anna Paquin character was like, oh, it's all about her going to for her first time. And she's going to lose her virginity. It's her first time. But then they just turn out to be werewolves and eat people, including right, it was her Baker. first. It was her first time eating somebody. So no, I got, I got it. I just was like, meh. You know. Yeah, no, I agree. And that 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 kind of twist where the the innocent young women turn out to be the monsters is, I feel like, something that's been done a lot at this point. Sure, and the last one was just um, a couple, and the uh, female character does not abide by leaving the Halloween decorations on for. The entire evening. So uh, little Sam goes and it guts her. Yeah, that was barely even a story that just kind of kind of frames the movie. Um, but I guess I could say that all of them were barely even a story. Honestly, Yeah, I mean, I one thing I'll disagree. With, I thought the timeline was effective of like the crisscrossing and, you know, where each character was at each point. I, I thought he did a good job with that. Yeah, there's some effective moments of that. I mean, there's the point during the Dylan Baker story where he looks next door, Brian Cox's character is his next door neighbor and sees him in the window and he's saying, help, help. And Dylan Baker just ignores him. And then we circle back to that later and we see that's because Sam has been attacking him at that point. And so that is kind of amusing and effective. But again, I feel like it just distracts from the fact that the stories themselves are not that strong. And you're looking at these connections and you're thinking, oh, it's cool because we saw that earlier. Now we see it again. But the story itself just isn't strong enough. I agree. I think, you know, we've kind of we've kind of hit it what our problems with it are. That's fair. Dave, did you find out what year The Nightmare Before Christmas was released? I sure did. It was 93. So it was well before this. And okay. Also, while yeah. we're bringing that back up, I think it's a pretty good uh, Danny Elfman copycat score here. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And so, right, the even the, the animated short is from 96, so definitely Jack Skellington. 
an influence here. But even so, I will say that Sam, who has become sort of the breakout character of this, does have a distinctive look. He is memorable. Do you think the breakout character should have been the man dressed as a giant baby? I do not. He also played a giant baby in uh, 13 Ghosts. C. Ernst Tarth was the actor there. Is that so. is that true? He's played a guy dressed as a baby in multiple movies? Yeah, yeah. So What a weird niche to have. Yeah, that's a, that. And the other fun fact I read was um, the Brian Cox character, Mr. Krieg. They said, you know, his look was one based on John Carpenter, which you could see, you know. Right, with this, the, the sort of stringy hair, yeah. But mm-hmm. the other was they were going for some type of David Crosby meets Jerry Garcia look, so. <laughs> okay, I guess. And Krieg, if we, did we mention he t- he's the, the bus driver that drove the kids off the cliff and they... Which is the big reveal, which is not... A big right, reveal. which is very obvious. And that's okay. I mean, I feel like in those kind of EC comic stories that it's it's emulating... They have those big twists, but they're almost always really obvious. But that's sort of part of the charm is that you know what's coming and the characters don't know what's coming. Um, and that's our little kicker there at the end of the movie that the ghosts of those kids come come to get him. Yeah. Do we want to rate it out of um, five smashed jack-o'-lanterns maybe? Sure. Five smashed jack-o'-lanterns. It gets two and a half for me um, for the mood and the technical merit alone. I'd say uh, it's not bad. It's not good. It's just the thing. So there's still a uh, half a jack-o'-lantern sitting straight and pristine with the other two. Two and a half for me, Josh. All right. I'll, I'll give it the same rating, two and a half. And that was also the rating I gave it when it first came out. It just, I, you, it has nice atmosphere. It's crafted with love. It just doesn't amount to much. And I, I still don't get the insane enthusiasm for this movie. So Dave, having actually made it through the whole thing, do you want to rate this? I also put down two and a half for my rating, although I feel like I'm being a little too generous, but let's wow. let's give it that though. All right. The trick-or-treat fans are going to come for us. So they sure are. <laughs> we'll come back in a moment and talk about the legacy of trick-or-treat. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this special 2007 Halloween episode, we've been talking about the cult classic Trick or Treat from writer-director Michael Doherty. And obviously the big legacy of this movie is its continued following, not just it. It had this level of hype before it was released and it was finally released and it's just continued to build over time for something that was kind of tossed away by the studio. It's become a Halloween institution and it's become one of these properties that gets revived in various other ways. I mean, there've been comic book series, there's lots of merchandise, the Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights, which will have, you know, they'll have themed areas that the, the haunted house or rides or whatever themed after like major franchises like Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street or Saw. And this has had its own area. Just this year on Shudder, uh, they have the, the quote, ghoul log, which is like their version of a Yule log that's just like a jack-o'-lantern uh, shining that, that airs on a loop that you can put on in the background. And it's a, it's a Sam-themed, it's a Sam-o'-lantern this year that you can get on there. So, I mean, it, it, people love this, I guess. Yeah, it's going to be around every Halloween, you know, like uh, 
like Beetlejuice and like uh, all these and like Hocus Pocus. That's where I'd put it next to those two. <laughs> I, uh, I would too. Yeah. And Hocus Pocus is, I mean, that's another topic, but that movie is so fucking terrible. Um, whoa, Josh just cursed. I don't know what to do with this. Um, Josh, yeah, everything you said is right. You know, Doherty went on and made another cult classic about another holiday, Krampus, right? And then he went on to direct the last Godzilla movie. And now they say, is it time to get back to trick or treat? He thinks it is. Yeah, they've been talking about that sequel for a while. And I do think it's probably going to happen because of this huge following is something that Warner Brothers probably now is like, oh, we got to cap, we got to capitalize on this. And as much as I was underwhelmed with Trick or Treat, I like Krampus. Um, I feel like the tone, the sort of horror comedy tone works better there. It's got a stronger story and it does something, you know, it's about the the Krampus, the sort of evil mischievous figure of Christmas which has had a big resurgence in popularity in part thanks to that movie. And there have been a bunch of Krampus movies sort of around the same time. But when it was being developed and being made, that wasn't something that was just overly familiar, which is, I I feel like a lot of what's in Trick or Treat. So I would recommend seeing Krampus. I would recommend seeing that over this movie. And the Godzilla sequel, eh, not great. But good for him for getting that big blockbuster money, I suppose. Sounds good to me, buddy. Yeah. (laughs) They had a great trailer. There you I'll go. I feel. Like, I was just going to say, Dave. <laughs> I feel like you are either, a, I, I either a huge fan of that Godzilla movie or a huge detractor of it. I felt like you had a very strong response to it. Yeah, I love that trailer. Hated the movie. It was terrible. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it's not a great movie, but I don't, I don't think I hated it. It was just, I was trying to recall the details of it, and I barely could, and it's not even yeah. that old. <laughs> um, Did you know? Uh, you know, the Sam character is named uh, after. Sam Hain, which is like the ancient ritualistic uh, holiday that led into Halloween in ancient Ireland. Did you know that that's where Halloween kind of originated? I didn't know that. Well, if you didn't know that, Rhonda, the character in this movie, talks about it. So maybe you missed that part. <laughs> it's it's weird that he names the character Sam because that's that's how it's spelled, but it's pronounced uh, Sawin, which is how she pronounces it in the movie. Oh. Um, and it's also, also not a person. It's just a holiday. Right, right. So that yeah. is kind of silly. So also the name of the band that uh, Glenn Danzig had in between the Misfits and Danzig. Mm-hmm. So We've really covered a good swath of music today between John Lydon, Glenn Danzig, and uh, Jerry Garcia and David Crosby. That's a super group waiting to happen, especially if they can raise Jerry Garcia from the dead for Halloween. Well, that could be a movie too. yeah the only other legacy and i don't know how this falls in the timeline but i feel like dylan baker playing creepy middle-aged guys is definitely a thing bad things to kids right and i don't know if that started here or that had already been happening but i feel like it's gone on from here i think happiness was first which we had talked about uh when we in 1996 when we uh season when we talked about welcome to the dollhouse that that movie i think came way before this yeah. And I think also related to this movie, again, I watched the the animated short, which is cute. And I feel like this format maybe works better in these really short sort of little bites when you don't have to think about the story. And I also watched on YouTube, there are a couple of, I mean, they're, they're basically just commercials uh, for, for FearNet, which was a, is a cable channel that no longer exists, but did a 24-hour marathon, much like TBS will do the 24-hour marathon of a Christmas story on Christmas. FearNet would do a 24-hour marathon of Trick or Treat. And Michael Doherty created some little shorts 
uh, to promote that and that you can watch on YouTube. And they're fun. And again, they have that sort of atmosphere that works well here, but they don't have enough story that you are disappointed that the story doesn't come together because it's like two minutes long. So uh, maybe that's a better format for this. I watched the uh, season's greetings short on YouTube and um, it was all right. Yeah, it's not amazing, but I feel like it's a maybe a better representation of this idea than trying to make it into a feature. Film. I mean, it's like you said, this character has become bigger than you would have expected to. And we're over here like, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, he's trying, and I don't think it's quite at this level, but I think it's getting there. And, and Doherty himself is trying to get Sam to be like Freddy Krueger or Jason Voorhees or Chucky or something like that. And it's it's building there, maybe. It's not there yet, but it could be. I'd like to see Sam on other holidays. Like, what if you didn't follow a tradition on Arbor Day? Would he come and like <laughs> kill you with a sharpened branch or something like that? You know, clearly you bring your secretary flowers on secretary day. Is he going to stab you in the neck with a pen? What's he going to do? That's administrative professionals day, by the way. Now <sighs> I'm <But> canceled. There's, <laughs> there's, there's not, there's not enough horror movies about Arbor Day. I think we need more of those. So. Is it still Arbor Day or is it like, tree appreciation day now <laughs> i'm pretty sure it's still arbor day okay. <laughs> do you want to mention any other things about the legacy of trick-or-treat uh one other fun fact i thought all the deaths take place off screen i thought that was a good choice so yeah it definitely has as i think i mentioned in my my initial initial review um it's not gory it's it's got that sort of classical feel and that's part of it that it's not excessively violent on screen so Cool. I got nothing else on this one, Josh. All right. Fair enough. Well, then that is Trick or Treat. And that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. You can follow us on social media. Yes, you can. I am Jason Harris Comedy uh, on Facebook and Instagram. J Harris Comedy on Twitter. Go for Jason.com, a website that's like an apple with a razor blade inside of it. Um, <laughs> AwesomeMovieYear.com uh, is better. And you can also find us at Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. SpaceJam.com. I don't know why you keep plugging the Space Jam website, but keep it up there, buddy. <laughs> um, I am at That's Josh your treat Hill. for Halloween, buddy. Yes, I'm at joshbellhateseverything.com, at joshbellhateseverything on Facebook, and at SignalBleed on Twitter. And you can listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check us out wherever you listen to podcasts. And since it's Halloween, I might as well plug my Halloween Spotify playlist of David Rosen music, of my darkest, spookiest type of music. So check that out on Spotify. Ooh, Ooh. yeah, may maybe maybe put on put on the ghoul log and uh, put the music to it. That might be a perfect Halloween experience mm. for you. So hey, and uh, <laughs> don't forget Dave's Patreon, even though you already did. Yeah, hey, yeah. <laughs> Check out Patreon. You know, we're trying on the Patreon uh, by David Rosen. We do have some bonus content from us from Awesome Movie Year. So uh, check it out. Also music from Dave, content from Piecing It Together. We'd love for more people to sign up for it. And it, Josh, if yes. we get three new patrons. Oh, no. What? This oh. week, you get this to week. 
you get to stab Dave with a shard of a lollipop. There you go. <laughs> now you're really just saying things that we absolutely, like at least theoretically, some of the other things we talked about we could have done, but that is not. I wonder, if we, I wonder if you're allowed to give away a prize like that on Patreon. <laughs> murder? A prize of murder? No, I didn't say Probably murder. Not. I just said stab, Josh. You're just going to hurt me. I, either way, I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to do that. So uh, dedicated to his Patreon, and I think he will take a few stab wounds for it. I'm okay. down. All right. Uh, so we got another Halloween episode from 2007 coming up. Jason, what will we be talking about? We are going to be talking about uh, Murder Party, the first film from the very interesting filmmaker, Jeremy Saulnier. So tune in next time for Murder Party. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.